Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is none other than Richard Dajitsky from RDA Architects in London. Now, Richard has a practice which is, uh, turns out some beautiful work. It's very, very stylish. It's a lot of renovation work. Um, and he does commercial work as well, but a lot of residential. And we'll focus mainly on residential. But I'm going to get Richard to tell us some of his stories uh, of how he set up the uh, practice and what the practice does, and his design philosophy as well. So, Richard, welcome to Talk Design Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, First of all, how how did you end up choosing architecture? You could have chosen a million things. You're a creative guy. Um, You know, you've got a lot going on. Why architecture? What what was the journey? Okay, the journey was quite simple. Um, I basically wanted to be a teacher. And um, I wanted to teach. My mother was a teacher at the time, and I found it really interesting. I loved geography, and I did very well at school in geography, and it was just something I really enjoyed. And that was uh, so I was looking at that sort of aspect. When I came to doing my A levels, I didn't do that well at school in the sixth form. I'm partially dyslexic, I'm not particularly great at remembering things, and I sort of uh, I bounce off in various ideas and so forth everywhere else. And um, I decided to retake my A-levels, but at the time, the reason I retook them was because I got a job and I went for a job interview and it was with um, this company called FPT Technology. I thought, wow, this sounds interesting. You know, I was quite young at the time, 17, no, 18 years old. FPT got technology, good money. And um, it was uh, basically, I get, a, I get a company car at 18 years. I get to travel around, uh, uh, around England. I thought, this sounds brilliant. And um, I went along to the interview, which was in some dreary little road. And I, and I hadn't done my research. I hadn't realised what FTP stood for. And it was frying pan technology. And I went along... <laughs> selling deep fat fryers around the country to take away restaurants. And I thought, I can't possibly do this for the rest of my life. So um, I, I decided... But the bonus I, of having the car and getting to travel was high on the list, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the car didn't quite, it, it didn't quite, it, it didn't quite sort of hit the mark. Ford um, Mondeo or something. It was, I think it was worse than that. This is in the days of a Capri or something, you know, but it was, it was, it was designed to, uh, to entice to an 18, entice an 18 year old into selling deep fat pan fryers, you know, so that's what it was designed for. Anyway, I started off architecture in Liverpool uh, Uni uh, because I did well, all right in my A-levels afterwards. I, I sat down and I actually focused on it. I did okay and then I sort of went off to Liverpool. And one of the other reasons is um, I decided on architecture because my father was an architect. And uh, he said, look, if you do architecture, you'll be able to teach you do anything. And he was sort of pushing me a little bit. So he did push me into architecture at the time to a certain extent. And I grew up because my father didn't like flying. And I grew up um, traveling around Europe. And, uh, you know, I know every cathedral at the back of my hand because he used to take us there since I was like two years old. So I know charts, I know every cathedral in Europe. Yeah, so that was one of his sort of, uh, uh, and he was a modern architect as well so he used to design a lot of um, very modern buildings and city center stuff um yeah he's, he's in his yeah okay in, he's in his 90s now how old he's is he now 94 so Do any advice yeah he lives just around the corner so uh, so my dad's him. 92 that's brilliant and my dad's a fine artist so if you look at a parallel here um and do brilliantly at school uh, because I'm dyslexic, um, like you. And um, with that, uh, I can still read and write and all those things, of course. Yeah. But it, it changes the way you view the world. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I, I, my first job, I had a car out of my first job, and it was delivering video equipment 
and training to be a videotape editor and a cameraman. And so very similar kind of parallel of, it does, uh, and it does then I went, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's trying to figure out what to do. And I didn't know what to do. And then when I finished my degree, I, again, early 20s, and the architecture is a seven-year hall. I thought, I can't do this any longer. I did all right in my degree. Um, and um, so I thought I needed to travel the world. And um, at the time, I didn't know my roots. My parents were refugees. They came over to England as refugees after the Second World War. And um, they basically, um, and the area of Poland, where my parents came from, no, no longer exists. Russians took it over. So I decided okay. to try and trace my roots and find out a little bit about, so even though I'm born in the UK, I wanted to find out a little bit more about my roots. So after three or four years, um, so after architecture school, I worked for a bit, I worked for a year in Manchester, which is where I men mentioned to you, Adrian, earlier on, uh, you know, so. Yeah, um, well, I've lived there as well. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, in, in, out of a rainy sodden Manchester, and, you know, I tried to sort of do various bits there, but that's another story. And then um, I decided to go around the world, and uh, I didn't at the time know that I was, I went to Poland, I saw some relatives, and this is communist Poland, this is uh, 1980s, yeah. Yeah. and um, end wow. of the 80s. And um, I ended up uh, getting a train ticket in Poland through one of my uh, sort of second cousins, because at the time there was a sort of, uh, you could get a communist uh, ticket for, I paid 29 US dollars to go to Beijing from Warsaw. I was going to say for two <laughs> quid or something. Yeah, exactly. And um, the problem is I had this ticket and I couldn't get a visa to travel alone. But in the end, uh, so I tried to get a visa and, and so forth. And um, in the end, I managed it by going, but it was, that, that's, that's another story. But I another traveled, story, yeah. That's another story. But I traveled, I traveled across Russia, uh, Lake Baikal, right, right across um, to Moscow, to uh, right across into China, uh, spent some time in China, then ended up in Hong Kong and ended up working in Hong Kong. This is after about a year. Um, ended up yep. in Hong Kong. I worked there for a firm. I had no money and I thought I'll teach English in Hong Kong. But what I ended up doing yep. was, um, my father said, why don't you roll up your portfolio? I'll DHL it to you. This is before the internet, really. The internet was just starting there. Yep. We had something called Janet in the academic world. But so this is, this is like um, 30 years ago, 25, 30 years yeah, ago. It's, it's late 80s. And um, what I yeah. ended up doing, I ended up in, in Hong Kong and uh, I got a job with a really high-end um, uh, firm of architects, a company called Palmer and Turner, um, who did yep. Exchange Square. They do big high-rises. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And um, I got the job there of doing computer visualizations. And um, because when I worked in Manchester, I learned AutoCAD, and this is in the late 80s. This is early AutoCAD. This is like wow. AutoCAD version two wow. or three. So I learned that. Yep. Um, so we had two screens. You'd, you'd type the commands in one screen, and then in the other screen, you'd draw a line. And, you know, and I knew how to do 3D AutoCAD because I just picked it up. And so I started doing 3D visualizations of high-rise buildings, and um, I quite enjoyed it. Got paid lots of money. I thought this is all right. I quite like this working in Hong Kong. And I quite, quite enjoyed like that. this architecture thing now. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and you're down Wan Chai every other every other night. Down, well, down the long Wan Chai. Talk, you know, and then uh, you know, a cup of tea. Um, it was it was it was lovely. It Mate, was really I reckon in those years we probably were in Hong Kong at the same time. I didn't live there, but I was in the clothing trade, and I used to travel to Hong Kong every like three well at least every three months but even more than that often and i'd well, say the new Lantau island before the airport was born yeah yeah right i used to spend all my time at the um at the new world harbour view hotel okay, and, <laughs> and i had an office which originally was in uh, jardine house which is the one with all the big circular holes in it and then later down the road from there, not in a, such a distinctive building. Lost the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We've probably yeah, been no, in the we same were... bars. Yeah, well, my, my girlfriend at the time used to work on Lang Kwai Fong in post-1997. Yeah, oh, so... Lang Kwai Fong, fantastic, yeah. yeah. So, 
it was um, it was all it was all a bit mad. But I, I did that for a, for a year or so. Carried on travelling, went over to Australia, went across Indonesia on a motorbike. So it was another long story. So after yeah. after being an architect, I carried on more time sort of travelling, doing odd jobs and went around the world. And then sitting on a beautiful island in Fiji. So I'd already got to Sunshine Island Express at the end of it all. <laughs> uh, beautiful, on Venelad, no, Tavioni, Tavioni, yeah, I think it yeah. was. Yeah. Beautiful sandy beach, palm trees, diving, amazing. I just thought, I'm bored. Right? And I thought, I'm bored. I don't want this. I want to design. And at that point in time, and I knew that I had to come back and finish my architecture training. And at that yeah, wow. point, uh, it was, it, it, that, that's, that's the honest truth. I was on this island. I was just thinking, why am I doing this? What am I doing? And What's my it, purpose? Yeah. And it was. Ended up then coming back via Canada and then ended up in the UK. And I ended up getting, going back to do my postgraduate, finishing off my architecture studies. But to cut a long story short, I managed to find a unit uh, to study architecture, which was just fascinating because I didn't quite fit in with the standard stuff. And um, I, I, I learned architecture through film. So uh, yeah, this was one unit quite, exper quite experimental at the time. And I spent two years in this unit with two amazing tutors, amazing tutors. I'm still friends with one of them. The other one also passed away. She, she was quite a feminist, really amazing woman, Catherine Schomfield. She was... Um, like a Jermaine Greer of her time. Um, you know, I was going to say, with Helen Reddy dying yesterday, who was, you know, her I Am A Woman was the big feminist anthem of the 70s, and she's an Australian, you know, singer um, yes. who changed the world. But she died yesterday. I was listening to some Helen Reddy last night. Um, it's, 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 it's nice to be taught by someone like that because it's oh, actually, yeah. it grounds you. And, yeah. um, but we would... We'd learn architecture through film. So we would take segments of From Russia With Love, North by Northwest, Rear Window, um, all sort of amazing movies, and we'd analyse them. We'd analyse the film sets, we'd analyse the lighting, and we'd be in the director's chair, effectively, for a period. Of, so the idea was you'd take 30 seconds of a movie that a you love. film, yeah. Yeah. And then you'd analyse that and then you'd apply that to a bit of architecture that you were designing, whether it's a chair, whether it's a, a room, whether it's a big, uh, big Building space. Or, yeah. yeah, it didn't matter. But you'd analyse a movie from the movie, you'd bring that into architecture. And that's how I, how I learnt to design. And that for me was just beautiful. It was a beautiful methodology. Um, which, well, uh, being dyslexic uh, as well, it would have been a beautiful learning experience. It was fantastic, and uh, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, so for my final project, it was sort of, um, I had Mini Coopers racing through the hay wane. Um, I mean, that's, again, that's another story, because I, I did this uh, final project. I, of we won't years. do that story now, but I drive a Mini Cooper, so we will do that story yeah. at some point, yeah. Well, like, yeah. My, whole, my whole postgraduate was all about minis, yeah. and it was about Britishness. So, yeah, right. I love that. It was all about being British and being English, and it was all about that because we just joined Europe. We're now just ah, coming. Of course, into you're it. just getting out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah now you've, it's, you've it's done that. Very the... poignant. So it's uh, it's gone full circle. Give it about ten years, you'll be able to pull that old portfolio out when you go back into the EU. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is quite poignant because um, I actually predicted that would come out of it, and uh, because that's what it was. It was about because I knew that Britain was too British to be part of Europe because the minute, yes. it's too iconic. It's just yes. too. Yeah. No. It. Um, it, it, whether it was a financial marriage or a good marriage in that sense, I don't know. But Britain is, um, it's not part of the homogenization of Europe. It's a very, very, very different place. It has very different culture. It has very different thinking. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very different spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, some of the little highlights there for people who are in the audience, especially um, budding designers, architects and stuff, is, is this uh, this way of looking at the world 
and uh, and taking time to actually discover the world as well because it brings an awesome awesome amount of richness to the journey of them being able to uh, work with clients, understand clients, and also to be able to see the nuances in somebody's history. You know, you went to Poland, back to Poland to do your history. And we another time we have a story about me going to Poland um, with a good friend of mine who is a, a, a very well-known uh, Australian rules player. Um, and we, we went to Poland. I took him to Poland on his first ever trip to Poland. And uh, we went and visited his family. But we'll talk that story <laughs> another time. Um, and then also this uh, this visual learning through um, film, absolutely incredible. So there's many roads to getting uh, to where you are. And, and for people who are out there who are listening, there's many tips in that little short sort of piece there about how that journey um, developed and, and why it developed. And so then once you got back and you, you went, okay, and before I move on from that, your dad being an architect and actually pushing you into architecture is another really interesting thing because so often parents do not push their children into the thing that they do. They say, don't do this. You know, my dad's a fine artist and he worked in advertising for many years and he said, don't, whatever you do, work in advertising. It's a terrible industry, da, 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 da. My younger brother works in advertising. I took his advice and didn't. And uh, my sister didn't as well. But, yeah, just really interesting. Your dad actually encouraged you to do this. And at 94, he lives down the road. And obviously still, you know, you go and have a cup of tea with him. And, and that, I think that's an absolutely beautiful outcome. And you'll probably have the same passion that one of your children may follow in your footsteps as well. I'd hope so, but um, my daughter, I think she's more artistic. As I said, she's very dyslexic, but she's gone to the Brit school, so she's now doing fine art there. I've so... got a funny feeling. I've got some friends from London who um, I think their daughter is, it might have been the Brit school. Her name's Tia O'Donnell, and, she, O'Donnell, and she's just exhibiting a lot just now. Um, she's probably a bit older than my daughter. My daughter's only 16. Yeah, she... She would be probably about three years, maybe three years, four years older. She might well, be even just yeah. finished then of a, of a Brit school, probably, and she's just about changing to the next uh, to the next yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. But yeah, wouldn't it be cool if um, one of them wanted to follow in your footsteps with that? It would. Be, oh, I'd love that. Yeah, you know, but I'd love it. But, but you know, I've got a brother who's an architect in Sydney, so he's. Oh, also really? Yeah. <laughs> My younger brother, he's seven years younger than me, and he's in Sydney. He's an, uh, in a, he's an architect there. He's, he's settled down. He's, he's truly and properly Australian. Make sure you put me in touch with him. Make I will. sure you put me in touch with him. Yeah, when I go to Sydney next, which God knows when that'll be, although the borders did open yesterday. Um, but when I go to Sydney next, I'll make sure I catch up with him. I've got quite a few friends who are architects in Sydney as well, and interior designers and stuff. There's some awesome people down there. I do some speaking down there for um, Caroma, uh, the, the white goods producer, you know, uh, sanitary yeah. wear producers. Um, I do, I work on their speaking tour thing uh, where we talk about trends and you know, reading trends and stuff like that. Um, I find that fascinating trends and I like sort of colour trends, you know, like colour. And um, yeah. so I describe some colour trends and it's really interesting to watch how colour depicts different moods and times and how you can how predictable it is in ah, terms hugely. of hugely. And it's really interesting i think trends is really interesting we should we should do a little thing on trends at some point because um i do a lot on trends it's my, it's my main subject i talk on how to read trends how to discover where trends sit where the influences are where the early adopters are those kind of things so we should do a little, we should do a gig together with that. That'd be fun. That would be interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm always fascinated by that. And what I love is looking at old photographs and dating them just on the colours of the kitchens or something of that nature. Yeah. You, you know, and yeah. you can just... And the materials. Yeah, you can just pick it and you can, I, you know, I, I think that's just quite, and it's very visual because you can pick something and go, that's 1974, that's 86. I'll tell you a fantastic place to go. Mm. Um, when you're in America next, a really, yeah. really fantastic place to go because it is a, a shot in time is Elvis's house, Graceland. 
Oh, I've never been. I'd love to go. You've got to go, man. I went uh, three years oh, ago, and, and and the doors were closed once once Elvis died, and it's yeah. on the tour. But you go through all the base of the house. You don't go through the top story, because the yeah. house is still actually used as a house. Lisa Marie sometimes stays there, um, oh, and and Priscilla. But it um it is every. I'll share with you a whole lot of photos. Every room is as it was, oh, wow. and. It is every piece is time dated and every room is an eclectic mix of a feeling of a, you know, like he's got a tiki room out the back from when he was doing all the shows in Hawaii um, and so on. He's got squash courts in there as well, but it, it yeah, we'll, we'll talk. It's, it's awesome. And, and it's because the doors were closed at that point, it is done. It is kept as it should have been. Oh, as fantastic. it was, and there's aeroplanes as well. His aeroplanes are across the road, um, and you can tour in the aeroplanes as well. Oh, see, I like, I like I, anything to do with flight. I've always liked, and um, yeah. in my office, um, which you sometimes see when I'm in the office, um, you, I've got a big um, aeroplane on the roof in the office, which is a, a drone, which is what we fly over some of the buildings we've got. So we've got this drone aeroplane, um, but it's now oh, awesome. Yeah. It's now illegal to fly. You need a license, you know, so you can only do it in certain places, you know, which is sort of private land. How and, cool. And, How cool. Well, that's, that's in our, you know, but I've always liked flights. As I said to you, I, I yeah. had a pilot's license for paragliding and so forth. And, uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed that. So anything to do with flights and colour and space and diving, three-dimensional things I enjoy. Well, but, I love it, man. Tell me, tell me this. What is your... Um, design philosophy when and and mix with that your design and client philosophy um for your practice how does that work the main thing really is uh, the practice has been going some 25 years um it's um, it's very much about an ecological mix so what we do is we design primarily passive houses but we do things um, we've always had an eco ecological push um, you know, even back in the early 2000s and so forth, that was something which I've always been quite interested in. But um, a lot of it is about what I don't like, and this is what's quite interesting, is I've, I'm probably a big hippie at heart, and that travelling is sort of part and parcel <laughs> of it. But the reality is I don't like all the hippie sort of bling of sort of um, sticks and stones and let's all live in a wigwam. You know, that's something I've yeah. always hated. And what I do love is sleek modernism. I love sleek modernism. So I like sleek, beautiful glass space, openness. And I think the empty space in buildings is just as important as the not so empty space. I mean, it doesn't say too much. It's fairly cluttered in here. But um, the empty space is so, so important. And the problem that I've always had with ecological buildings, even in the 70s, 80s, sort of 90s, and you go back in history, they're always a little bit too clumpy and clumsy. Yep. And what I've tried to do is design buildings which are ecological but beautiful. And that's something where, where I've um, really um, tried to focus on. So that's a very important philosophy. And the other really important philosophy that we have is that we try and share within our studio and within, um, within the team, effectively, our knowledge. And so when clients, when clients come to me, for whatever reason they come to us, um, we try and sort of offer them something which is a little bit better in terms of a niche, in terms of, um, and you can, you, can, you can take whatever it is, as long as you've got a strong philosophy, and if it's, um, if it's to do with, an ecological aspect, whether it's passive house, uh, yeah. whether anything of that nature, you can tailor it specifically to the market that you need. To, so I don't have a problem. So for instance, I've just finished a house. And I do quite a lot of celebrity houses. Yeah. Uh, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I'm, I'm on a number of NDAs on that. So I can't disclose a lot of them, but you know, I can say that I've just finished one, a house, a 12 million pound house, for someone who drives very fast cars. <laughs> and, yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> and the rest we can leave to your imagination, but yeah, watch exactly. your Formula yeah, One. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done that, um, and that was quite beautiful. 
Um, that's not really on our website, but um, I've got some snippets on the website. If you look on the, the interiors, you'll yeah. see a few snippets there. But I still approached that in the same manner that I'd do a low, a, a, an affordable home. When I say affordable, something which is low cost for £250,000. £250,000 is an affordable home in London. And um, something of that nature... I'd approach it in exactly the same way. All right, you might not get all the bling and all the uh, funny... Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. But yeah. spatially, I'd approach it in exactly the same way. And that comes from learning about space through film. And then you learn about space through film from directors, from... Uh, um, well, they, they, they have to manipulate space constantly. Film is about manipulating space. And Rear Window is a fantastic movie yeah. to understand that because that was all shot in Flatland. And um, it's, it's, yeah. just, um, it's, it's, it's just an amazing, because you get a sense of depth and everything, yet it's a perspective of one person's view out of the window on a whole series of events. And it's just an amazing, amazing movie. I love amazing. that. Hey, have you watched um, that movie that um, Tom Ford made? Um, Tom Ford from Gucci, uh, he made a movie, goodness, I can't think what it's called, I'd have to do a search, but he made a movie just a little, a few years ago, and it's in Los Angeles area, and it's got some the most stunning architecture in it, of course, um, from the modernist era. Um, I'll think of it while we're talking, and I'll... I'll one of my favourite architects is an LA architect, and that's John Lautner. Um, oh, yeah, well. <laughs> you, you know, Lautner and so forth. If you, you, that's, I love Lautner's architecture. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's some of my favourite buildings are his. Um, but, no, I'm not sure of a Tom Ford movie. But other movies I've enjoyed is sort of something like Force Majeure was one of the... the mm -hmm. It was a Scandinavian movie, which I really enjoyed, a fairly recent movie. And it's, but that's more about people. And that's, so the, uh, the movie was called A Single Man. Okay. And no, um, it, the, the cast, I'm just trying to think of what his name, Colin Firth. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, and, um, but, but the movie, you must watch it for the architecture. Oh, um, it is a stunning, yeah, it's, it's really stunning. And... In that modernist, um, you know, way, it, it's fabulous. It's something really special. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy the movie so much, but I really enjoyed the architecture in the movie. No, the architecture is, I think architecture is something which is really special. In movies, it, it, it is as well. I think there's some, there's some amazing scenes, and I'm, I'm always trying to spot the building. In the, in the, in Absolutely. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, me too. Sad thing. You know, but I, you... I probably will look at the next movie I watch with whole new eyes after you saying watching a 30 second clip and breaking it down into every part of what's happening. Um, because well, my original first ever job was actually in um, film or actually not film video production. And um, that was what, when I left school, I ended up working for a video house and okay. uh, we made videos and um, I was learning to be a cameraman and a tape editor um, so yeah, again, I have that whole background, and my eyes it's go that fantastic. way. The design—it's fantastic because you're seeing the you're seeing the world through a restriction. You're yes. seeing it through a square screen, so you have to think, you have to focus effectively. Absolutely. And what's in this little screen? It's like now we, you know, we're, we're talking to each other on little screens, and you know, even so, you, with a little screen, you have to focus, and yet you have to sure. We choose what we, we see. Something that happens in architecture that I love like that, where right. I'm doing a, a renovation um, close by to where I yeah. live. And uh, the other day, um, a wall came down and there's going to be a, a reasonable size window in this wall because it's, it's a renovation. And, you know, there's an, another wall in front of it, which is yet to come down, but the wall in front of it, was originally it was a little storeroom but it's uh it, it's got this most incredible view and now when you walk into that room where the one wall's gone but there's another wall in front the, that wall had a window in it and when you look out that window you see an island in the sea it is the perfect framed picture 
Now, you had no idea it even, you, you could see it from further down the room, but now that it's framed, you look just at the island. And now the temptation is, yeah, temptation is, is not to put a bigger window in. It's one just things, to leave it framed. One of the things that we had in Hong Kong, and this is something else mm -hmm. I learned, when I was working in Hong Kong, everything, everything had to go to the floor below. I used to work on the 22nd floor. And everything had to go on the 21st floor and be passed by the Feng Shui expert. Yes. So we, yeah, so everything. So everything you did had to be passed by, by this guy on, the, on this other floor, which I never saw. I never found out who he was. Yeah. But, um, he, but he would assess it. He would assess it. And it was all about, I learned a little bit about that, you know, so for instance, um, I, I, even though I'm not, an, I, I'm certainly no expert in Feng Shui, but I'm, I understand about space. The last thing I want, if I walk into a house, is I walk into the front door, the last thing I want is a toilet in front of me, or a door <laughs> with a toilet in front of me. Apparently that is really bad Feng Shui, it means all your money. Of course it is, of course <laughs> it is. I, I, yeah, so I had a... Space looking at Niners. It's just nicer. Just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, right. I had a I had a um a client a few years ago, and I went to um I went I designed them a, a renovation, and anyway they said oh look um there's a builder who we would be liking to use for this, and I said all oh, right okay, and um, yeah. they said we can go over to their house. They're at the end of the street. We can go to their house and um, we can meet with them. And I said, oh, well, cool. Let's call, call and see if we can go down there. So we do. And they were saying how the builder had renovated their, their own home and they'd done all this stuff. And so I'm going through the house and I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, it did nothing special. Um, although still spent a fair bit of money. Yeah. And we're standing in the living room and there's a, a, a big long wall in the living room on one side. So it's got, it looks out on two sides. The other side was connected to the dining and kitchen, but then there's a long wall in the living room. And in the middle of the wall, there is a door and yeah. you know what I'm going to tell you, but I'm thinking, where the hell does that door go? It, it, <laughs> there, there's a gap between that and the, and the um, garage. You know, I saw the garage There's a gap between those two things. And I said, so what's in the, what's in the, and, and through the door there, what room's that? And as I did it, I was opening the door and it was a toilet. And when you opened the door, you could see the toilet. It was yes. a, <laughs> it wasn't even a powder room with a basin. No, it's just a toilet. Oh, yeah. Just a toilet, like in the middle of your living room. And I went, you know, there's something that could have been resolved a little better in this design. <laughs> I just closed the door and went, okay, yeah, cool, right, and just kept going. I, I got outside and I was first thing I was straight on the phone to the office. You won't believe what I've just done. It's about actually understanding space and actually thinking about hierarchy as well. I yes. think the hierarchy of space is really important. And the other thing that's really important is to think in three dimensions. As yes. I said to you, I love, um, so, you know, I've got a few passions in my life. Scuba diving is a big one. Um, flying was a big one obviously I haven't flown now that much since I've had children but it used to be and it was all about being in 3D space and moving up and down um, as yeah. well as a forward and backwards and and scuba diving is probably one of the ones which is the best in that respect because as you breathe as you as you breathe you start floating up as you breathe out you start, you start going floating down, down. You start yeah. neutral buoyancy but having that exploratory factor of being able to move in 3D and then perhaps having that factor in computer software that we use and being able to explore and think of molding clay or whatever, even if you're building a model, um, you can think about 3D space and it's really important that you don't think, and I'm going to use this word again, in flatland, you've got yeah. to start thinking about three-dimensional space and it's stupidly important and thinking about, um, so I always start by thinking, okay, how does this house flow? How can I make this house flow better? How can I do the vertical circulation? So I tend to start off with vertical circulation. And working in Hong Kong really taught me about yes. that because in Hong Kong, everything was about vertical circulation. Uh, I've also worked in Mumbai. I worked in Mumbai after that as well for a little while and um, on some really expensive penthouses. And the issue was these, when you when you do things, when you sort of do vertical circulation, think about it, and it's all about net and gross areas, and it's all about, bless you, and it's all about, um, uh, you know, the, the feasibility of a space. 
and, and working that out. When you apply it on a domestic scale, you suddenly realise how simple it is to get most houses really right. Thinking about the aspect, the ratios, um, yeah. and so many... If, if people go, if, if they look on your website, they will see that. They will see it so clearly on your website. Um, that, that, that's how you approach it. It's, yeah. And, and the, the amount of air and light that you're dropping into spaces. Oh, sorry. It's just a, yeah, but um, so that's exactly what we try and do. Yeah, it's exactly and what So we're... when you go to a, a, new, a new job, and, and are most of your jobs um, renovations by nature of living in London? They are mainly renovations. We're doing quite a few passive house benefit projects now. Um, so um, they're effective. a lot of, and I think also striving towards net zero and working towards net zero, yeah. which is sort of a big buzzword at the moment. It's, well, it's not just a buzzword, it's also, it's a philosophy, which is very important. And I think one of the aspects with using existing fabric, and I'm a great believer in using existing fabric. The yeah, Italians do this really, really well. The Italians just know how to do this. Um, but when you work with, because they've got such an amazing history, when you work with buildings which are a few hundred years old or, uh, or more, um, you try and, you, you have to treat them with real care, but you can still and do honor some amazing them. with them. Yeah. Yeah, um, honor the space and honor the original structure. And as you say, treat it with real care. That doesn't mean not modernising it or, or bringing it into the century. It, it's, it's just being very conscious and very in, in one space with it. You know, I was talking to an architect the other day and I said to him, and when I go to a, you know, someone's house, like not everyone's house, but like I go to a significant home, I just take time to take a breath and close my eyes and feel the space and then try and put myself in the shoes of the person who took the time to design it. That's so important. I think it's a lovely thing to do that. That's really... So and, and you know, the, the space speaks to you when you do that. It's like going to a new piece of land. And when you go to a new piece of land, and especially like I do a lot of acreage land proper, properties, you know, we specialize in those homes that are on larger blocks and Every piece of land has a story, has a sacred spot, it has a voice, and you've got to stop and listen and feel the land. And then, you know, the, the, the structure just starts coming out of the ground in front of you when you do that. It, it kind of morphs itself into that starting to 3D. What would I get here? What will this do? What will that do? Where's my breeze going to come from? Where's my light going to fall? When, how will I use that? What will happen when I use that? What will that have the biggest effect on? The hierarchy of space again. Who needs it most? This Adrian, is the... I agree with you with that. And I think one of the things is to actually go to a space in more than one time in a day. You know, yes. so it's not just go there for, for an hour. If you're actually exploring a, a house or something, um, you should always go there in sort of morning, midday, evening. Yep. Do you know and something that we do with that is, um, which is probably a little unique, our business does this, that not many do. Um, we, do a, we do a special, um, we call it design discovery, but that design discovery um, that we do is based on having... Uh, we arrive before sun up and we leave yeah. before sundown, uh, after sundown, and we're there all day. And uh, we don't usually do that in houses, but we do it on land. And we'll stay on the land all day. We record, um, we, we search, we record, we hunt down, we look for things. And the clients come and go depending on whether they want to be there all that time or not. Um, but we spend the time there too. Uh, we call it land whispering. To, to hang out on the land and let it talk to us and, and get the nuances. And then ideally, we also, we, we study before we go the weather patterns and the natural breezes of the area and what the rainfall is and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so it gives us a better understanding of it. And then we'll talk to real estate agents, past owners, neighbours, things like that as well to understand the nuances of the block. Um, it's a really nice thing to do because... Um, one of the things is in London, um, a lot of the houses were, bought, were, sort of were built in sort of the 
18. So we have all the London maps and I also have the bomb maps of London as well, uh-huh. after the Second World War, which is really interesting. We have all the maps of the historical aspects of it, um, of the 37 boroughs and so forth. And um, one of the things that we do is we look at the history and most of the houses were built in the sort of 1870s to 1900s. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah. it's just 100, 150 years old. It's Victorian industrial time. So obviously when you go to slightly older ones, Georgian, those fewer streets, in that situation, what you had what was called um, sort of jerry-built houses, and uh, these houses. What, so what do you call them? Jerry-built houses. Jerry-built, yeah. Yeah, it's to do with um, with the building the building type uh, of houses, but because they were all built in rows, and there was a lot of them. And one of the issues with these houses is they don't always reflect, or they don't they don't talk to the land because they're built. So you see the same typology, whether, you know, whether you're on one road or the next road. Cheryl so them, uh, Sorry, my phone's going. But, uh, don't, don't stop, just I'm hanging it up. So you see these houses, and what you've got to realise is, hang on, you've got a road, and you've got exactly the same house type, this Victorian amazing 1880s house with yes. windows, windows, and it's got a bay on the north side of the road, and it's got exactly the same as on the opposite side of the road, with a big bay window on the south side of the road. And you suddenly realise how different. Now, we've got, um, we've got a number of houses which are all identical, and we've done, you know, three in a row. Um, oh, right. Awesome. All for different clients. And each one is slightly different because you, you, you look at the land and you look at what also the client wants out of the land and how the client lives. So what's really interesting, we've done three fairly big projects. So they're over a million pound projects. And one is a semi-detached and it's attached to the other client's house. Yeah, but, you know, they're big, big mm-hmm. houses. And, um, but they're totally different because they want different items and they respect also, they respect the land slightly differently, these houses. And then the other one further down, and you've got to understand not just what the land is saying, but also what the client wants and what the Absolutely. space Absolutely. You're, you're, you're being the translator between the land, the existing buildings, the client, and it's like they're all speaking different languages and, right. and, and you, you have to understand every language in its nuance and then tell each party what each language is saying and then put that into a built structural form. Yeah. (laughs) It is. It is. That's why people miss what's so special about architecture Um, because you can just stick a building somewhere. You can do that. People do it all the time. But when it comes alive is when somebody can do all those things intuitively and gracefully and with ease and it, it it makes magic and that's when it makes more of a home than just a house or just a building and that home then gets the opportunity to be maybe another 200 years on and um, there's still elements that uh, the core of the home holds but the peripheral changes. Correct and it's lovely and the thing is I think the core of a home and one of the things because I work with a lot of um, so it's either listed buildings or areas in conservation. Yeah, right, where you've got to do that, yeah. Yeah, one of the things is that whatever you do, you've always got to be mindful of the originality, which is what you said earlier on. But yeah. The way I approach that is that, um, and we quite often get projects from other architects that have failed. So, um, you know, one of our sort of... Um, one of the remits of what we get is um, the clients will come to us because they say, oh, we've tried three different architects, it hasn't worked out and um, whatever. But really? one of the things, that's true, but um, one of the things that we always um, say is whatever you do to your existing building, you've got to make sure that it's subservient. Mm. That whatever intention we do, whatever we do, we respect the originality of the building. So someone in a hundred years time, wants to get rid of this extension and wants to go back to the original building and restore it. Make exactly. sure you've left it as it should be. Correct. And that's <laughs> something that you need to be able to think about. So whatever it is, now the Italians are brilliant at this. Yes. The Italians, and the Spanish with, uh, actually. Uh, the Spanish are brilliant as well. Yeah. Uh, because what they tend to do is if you've got, think about it, if you're in say, um, an amazing building in Siena or something and you've got yep. a modern extension to it, they'll use a separator. Yeah. They'll use a separator, so they'll put a piece of glass or something which separates 
whatever it is that your new extension is to the existing, but the original might have a different opening there where that glass box uh -huh. is, whatever you're doing your link, but you've still left with a historic, uh, a historic element of that building and you've extended it. Now that's what I try and do with a lot of these buildings that we work with. We try and look at how we can perforate the building as well and make sure that whatever we do is subservient to the original. Yeah? I love that, that. I love that, that subservient architecture and it's, um, yeah, that's and then taking the principles of passive house and taking um, you know net zero into those principles and saying okay, what can we what can we create here that is better for our client, better for the environment, better for um, the future of of our planet, as well as yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a it's a, a big responsibility. Um, and I think people think it's a few lines on paper too often and don't realise the responsibility that you're in for. Responsibility is huge. And I think um, that that's something you learn by, you know, taking the world. You know, for me, it was about 10 years worth of training because I took so many years travelling. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to wrap up, give me one tip that you would say to somebody who is wanting to take this architectural journey they may have already started practice um, or working for somebody. Give me a tip for them that uh, you think would be something that takes them years forward in minutes, something that you wish you'd known. <laughs> there's something in there. Uh, there's probably a thousand things in there. Just choose one. Well, there's quite a lot of things. And I think one of the things um, that I would say is if you want, if you want to be, believe in what you want to do, believe, have good confidence, have confidence, have confidence with what you want to do and be confident, be confident all the way through and stick to your original idea as close as you can. Mm -hmm. um, so once you've done your analysis and you've got your idea, don't sway so much. Don't allow the clients to sway it. Be strong stick with your original idea and try not to so for instance if a client tries to sway me too much i lose interest in the project and then it becomes a building yes so that's something i've learned and what you really need to do is stick to your guns stick to that original yeah you, with, with empathy with empathy for 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 the client and the the project i i, I would 100 percent agree you know your intuition has to be strong to do this job and um, if your intuition is strong, then it's telling you the right messages. And that doesn't mean that you ram it down people's throats. It means that you work to, to understand them in the picture as well. No, you have to. You have to listen to them. And I think listening to them, but the problem is a lot of people who, a lot of clients, well, it's not a problem, but a lot of clients don't know what they want. That's they, it. You've got to find it for them. Yeah. So therefore, that's your role. And yeah. your role also is it's effectively being a psychoanalyst as well, you know, so yeah. there's that. And um, a marriage counsellor. Exactly. Study. Well, actually, uh, you know, I think you should have a divorce, you know. Yeah. Sort of exactly. <laughs> my, tip, my tip would be, um, would be study, um, if you're going to do residential, study marriage counselling. And study, okay. if you're a male, study human behavior from uh, the point of view of how women behave. And if you're a female, study the point of view from how men behave and have a good, solid understanding of, of what that's about because you will use it every day that you do this job. Every day. I totally agree with you, Adrian. I totally agree. <laughs> now, the other thing, I've got a top tip here. This is a top tip. When you sign yeah. a contract, yeah, between husband, 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 wife, 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 whatever way, whatever the, yeah. whatever it is that you're saying. The, the genres. Make yeah. sure that one party signs it rather than two. Because if you have Mr. and Mrs. signing it, I always, I always insist that one person signs it and one person is responsible because then you push the arguments to them between themselves rather than um i think that's that's a top tip love that <laughs> i love that actually i'm going to do that i think that makes a big difference and i have clients where that happens but not necessarily that i force that no I there's, push it. there's one leader there's one leader that's a great tip man 
Richard, that is, we've got about 10 of these podcasts to do, and I want to set up a, a, a tour where we do an Aki tour uh, to South America together as well. Maybe well, even I'm take some to. people on it. Maybe take some people and discover some I'll, stuff I'll with them. So, that would be so cool. I'd love to go there. And we and will do something. Yeah, yeah we'll stuff. do something in Texas as well or in, in, oh, in yeah. the US. Um, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your generosity yeah. with your knowledge. You're an expert in your field. You do beautiful work. Um, you, thanks, you. buddy. Um, <laughs> I look at yours and I get very inspired. And, and I know it takes a, a team. It takes um, not only you, it takes a client. And it also takes a contractor. And it, it takes yeah. everything to come together to make those, those jobs happen. It's not a single man focused thing. So Thank true. you again. I look forward to talking okay. soon. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. All right, thank you. Cheers, mate. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.